Hello and welcome to Mondays with Mac. My name is Dr. John B. McIntosh, licensed professional counselor and a certified advanced alcohol and drug counselor. Today, I'd like to follow up on uh, our discussion we had on the chakras and how it pertains to couples and families. So we want to look at how people can manifest negative, uh, unresolved, blocked energies in the body that manifest themselves physically as a person goes through life. So today, let's talk a little bit about couples. I do a lot of couples therapy, and I'm always fascinated about how, uh, especially when young people meet, they get so attracted that the male may get so attracted to the female, how she looks, how she dresses, her makeup, her hairstyle, mannerisms, the way she uh, may uh, talk with others or flirt. He gets very, very attracted to that and puts all, forward all his effort to meet this girl and try to develop some kind of a relationship. If successful, the male tends to, uh, depending on his background information and background experiences, if he's had unresolved issues as well, some of these issues come out in the relationship in this manner. The male will then, after getting comfortable in the relationship and realizing that they do have a commitment to one another, will begin to address the way she dresses, saying that he doesn't appreciate her wearing low-cut uh, shirts and saying that out of respect for him are the words he typically will use. Out of respect for me, I don't think you should wear that kind of shirt in public because men are going to hit on you and uh, uh, it'll be embarrassing in front of me. And you may be persuaded, in his unconscious mind, he's thinking you may be persuaded to go out with someone else other than me. So in essence, his insecurities get enacted and create problems. When I hear this, when I hear a female tell me that her boyfriend had said this to her, that he doesn't like the way she dresses, even though that's the way she always dressed, I immediately suspect that this man has probably been hurt, more likely cheated on in his past relationships. And as a result, he tends to try to take control of the situation in his best effort to prevent that from happening again. Whereas in essence, what he's doing is pushing the female away further and faster. Another comment I hear is uh, the way that they may talk to others or makeup. So you'll get a man saying, you know, to the girl, you're beautiful, you're the best thing I ever wanted, I'm glad we're together, then a few months down the road, he may say, are you going out dressed like that? I don't think you should. That's disrespectful to me. And some go as far as calling her uh, trash or looking like a whore when she goes out. And are you going to wear that makeup like that? You're wearing too much makeup. You look like a clown. These are some of the comments made out of supposedly loving relationships. And the male is typically doing this because of trying to prevent uh, her from cheating or breaking up. So what he does, he tries to envelop her and tries to make sure that the commitment is tight and is not going anywhere. Whereas in a female's point of view, she's losing her identity, losing who she is, and trying, if she wants this relationship, she has to try to appease him by re fulfilling some of the requests that he is making. So I'm, I'm warning the audience that these are some early signs that can be dysfunctional and lead to major, major problems. This can get very controlling. Your arguments and fighting can get more intense and hopefully not physical and the emotional and mental abuse can run rampant. So these are some of the early signs. 
please, folks, when you meet someone and that's who you love, treasure it. Encourage it. Be proud that if someone's uh, tried to hit on your girlfriend or boyfriend, that you have somebody so uh, attractive at your side and they're very devoted to you. So I'd like you to think, rethink this, please. When someone is very attractive, you can uh, try to put them under glass and watch them 24-7. But the fact is, if someone's going to cheat, they're going to do it. So I try to help my clients to feel at ease with the fact that no matter what you do uh, to try to prevent something, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So you need to rest assured in your life and try not to be so insecure with the fact that uh, you're projecting your insecurities onto your partner, which creates problems. Another early warning sign is when a man will say to the girl, you know, I don't mind you going out with your friends, and I'm not worried about that so much, but I'm worried about other men who may be at the party or the bar or the social gathering who may hit on you. And that's almost insulting as well because you're assuming that that woman has no power to uh, conduct her behavior in a manner that she will not allow anybody to flirt with her or to uh, encourage her or seduce her into another relationship. So again, you must look at your own insecurities. Jealousy cannot exist in a relationship. And I was very dismayed when I read some journal articles on jealousy where some marriage counselors said a little bit of jealousy in a relationship is a good thing. It keeps it active, alive, and energized. I totally disagree with that. Um, when you're in love, truly in love, you share your life, and you want to be with each other, and you accept and encourage growth. Because when you get together, even a few months later, you're not going to be the same persons that met. So you've got to accept growth and change. That's all every human being does. We grow, we change, and we evolve. So as a result, if you're stuck in the way things were, which I see a lot of couples when they get married, they want every day to be like that first week, blissful, joyful. And it's those folks, the ones that attach to the idea that life is supposed to be beautiful and good are the ones that suffer the most. Because life, in essence, can be very messy. And I mean by messy, what's normal is you have good days, you have not so good days. I don't like the word bad, I don't like to use that, but you have not so good days. The, the strength of these bad days all depends upon how you, you define what is a bad or not so good day. You have a choice when you wake up in the morning how you want to feel that day. So when a crisis hits, some kind of challenge hits, financial, relationship, weather, anything hits, you have a choice at that moment. How are you going to handle that situation? And like I said in my talks from the past, it's okay and it's in, I encourage people to be sad when they're feeling sad. Do not hang up your feelings and walk away and say, done. And I've encouraged a lot of men in couples therapy where if a woman cheats on him or if he breaks up, she breaks up with him, he walks away, say, okay, done. He doesn't want to feel those bad emotions. He doesn't want to cry. He just wants to move on. It's in the past. That is one of the biggest mistakes because as I've said in previous talks, 
this creates a sense of projection where that person will now project it onto the new person that they met and they lead a guarded life and then they start to shelter or envelop the other person to the point where they leave them too. Then eventually through time, that person will develop a uh, self-fulfilling prophecy where all women are alike, all men are alike. I, I'm not going to get serious or open my heart to anyone because it, I'm only going to get hurt again and again and again. And it's that self-fulfilling prophecy where when they do meet people, they do uh, fulfill that belief that they have inside themselves and repetitively do things like this. So pay attention in any kind of relationship. You remember my earlier talks, I said when you meet someone, take your time. Try not to get sexually involved for about 90 days. That's a, you know, that's an area that I found in my practice that I feel effective, but it may vary. It could be a little bit less. It could be take a little bit longer, but you need to take your time when you meet someone to get to know them, to see if their core values match yours. It doesn't matter what movies they like, what foods they like, uh, uh, places they like to vacation. What matters is core values. What do they believe? What's their political, religious, or spiritual views? Do they uh, believe in killing uh, animals? Do they love animals? These are all core values that only you too, when you meet someone, can answer and try to get aligned with that. I found it's the core values that separate people the most. Okay, so watch when you're first dating someone, take your time, and as I said previously also, when you do break up, please do not meet someone out of need or loneliness. These typically are doomed to failure and to breakups. Why? Is because you haven't looked at your own life, your own desires, why you chose the person that you were dating, what happened, um, what can you do better, how can you heal? And bottom line, are you ready for a new relationship? If it's out of need or loneliness, like I said, you're not ready. And that relationship is doomed to failure. It would be just like a spider capturing a fly in its web, spinning a cocoon around it and feeding off it slowly until it dies. That's the same thing that happens in relationships when people meet out of need. Because the other person can only make you happy for so long. And then they get tired and fatigued and tend to walk away. So these are some things with couples. And uh, couples need to look at, you know, the true love. True love is acceptance. It's growth. The words, I love you, don't mean much to me. It's the nonverbal communication that means a lot. Do you demonstrate your love through respect, through care? concern, empathy, not pity, but empathy. That's what I look for. The nonverbals are so very, very important. The I love you's can be manipulative and they can be shallow. We use those phrases too much. We need to show our love by little things. So with couples, now if the couples get involved with uh, folks who already have children, it gets a little bit more complicated. And the fact that you may have different parenting styles, you may have different, uh, this comes back to your core values, different beliefs in how to raise children. So that needs to be discussed. You can't just hop into a relationship out of attraction and project that everything's going to be great, that this is the best person you ever met without truly getting to know them. So there again, 
talking about having sex too soon, that really colors over everything and you project perfection onto the other person. Please be careful with this. Get to know each other. That person in your life should be your best friend. And if they are your best friend, you can accomplish anything. You can tackle anything. You can take great comfort in knowing that uh, you both support and encourage one another. So this leads then to possibility of blended families, or you might get married and have your own children, or you may uh, cohabitate and have your own children. But once children enter your life, you now enter into a family dynamic. And this is very important as well. A family dynamic involves three lives. And oftentimes, uh, when families come into sessions with me, I find one area that's overcompensated and the other two areas neglected for the most part. So when you get together and you have children, you now have three lives that need to be uh, fulfilled and satiated. First of all, you have a family life. That's you, your partner, and the child or children. That means you do things together, you uh, spend time together, go places, vacation together, etc. The second uh, formula to a successful family is when uh, you have equal time with your partner alone. Date nights, going out together, etc. Equal time on the couch at night, watching your shows, your programs. And then the third life that is often neglected is an individual life. This is where that uprising you hear about man caves and men need, men need to be alone out in a garage, in the basement, in their, in their uh, tool sheds or their uh, buildings where they do their woodwork, etc. That's their man cave. Women tend to go out with their friends, maybe shop or maybe do the same things the man is doing. Regardless, though, when families get formed, all too often everything focused on the child or children. So what gets missing is the partnership between the two uh, folks getting together and they start to miss their individual time with friends. It is so vital that you balance these three areas of your life when you decide to have children. If not, this is when the desires for uh, cheating, affairs start to come in. And as I said previously, women tend to choose affairs for the affection, the love that they miss coming from their partner. And the males tend to choose sex because they feel like they've been sexually abandoned and are no longer desired by their female partners. So they choose to have uh, affairs to try to fulfill that need. So it's very important that all three of these aspects get met when you are in a family situation. But you'll get people rationalizing that children must come first. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't as far as uh, the settings go but you must balance the time between these three lives. If not, there's going to be a drifting occurring and you may separate. So when it comes to the children, now you have these core values coming into place with families. What's your value? Uh, me personally, I try to encourage families to have dinner at the table. Talk, no noise, turn off the stereos, the radios, the televisions, no phones allowed at the table, no iPads, no nothing. You are to sit at the table and discuss and talk. How's your day? What are you doing? What's your plans for tomorrow? 
these are things that families uh, are missing in this world today. We are not getting together socially without extraneous noise. Everything today that I'm observing is noise. In fact, uh, you know how I like to entertain people with some thoughts or observations that I see. The last time I talked, I told you about being at an intersection and every single car in all four directions, everybody was on their phone. Now my entertainment was uh, going to the gym, sitting in the sauna as a warm-up to my uh, exercise routine. There were six people in the sauna, including me. Everyone, everyone except me, were on the phone, looking up things, listening to music, talking. It was, and I can't think of better words, utterly disgusting to see human beings that cannot be in the present moment. Very disgusting. They cannot make eye contact with one another. They can't talk with each other in the sauna. They can't sit there quietly and reflect upon their thoughts. They must constantly have extraneous sources of noise to occupy their mind. Or the key word is boredom. And those of you who have children are going to hear that a lot. I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. But in essence, spiritually, boredom is not real. It doesn't exist. We need to develop different eyes because there's never nothing going on. There's always something going on. So with the kids again, we have certain parenting styles that you need to talk about. I do believe in that dinner time of no extraneous noises and interferences, talking. And I do believe that every child should have chores to do. There should not be a, a sense of you get whatever you want, do whatever you want, I support whatever you want. And there's no consequences, there's no responsibilities. These children are grow up to be entitled and as a result believe that life is handed to them and they have to do nothing to earn anything. Okay, so we have extreme liberal people, we have extreme uh, conservative people in our culture. Both have their faults, both have their good qualities. What we want to do is get the middle road and try to incorporate both of these different viewpoints into raising a very healthy, responsible family. So we have identified several types of children that grow up in these um, different family systems. One is you've heard of, and that's helicopter parents and helicopter children. Helicopter parents tend to hover around their children, watching and making sure that their life is going well and trying to make sure they don't hurt or feel bad. This is a very dangerous thing, folks, because children need to experience the pleasures of life, the faults of life, the sadness of life, the angry moments of life, joyful moments, the whole gambit. In other words, they need to know what it means to be human. And parents tend to take away all the negative feelings and try to protect them. That's a helicopter parent. That has evolved into another arena um, that you saw on the news perhaps two years ago where you see the uh, wealthy who pay and bribe major universities to take their sons and daughters into school without earning anything. Some have gone so far as to pay a proctor to go and take the SAT test exams for them to get a high score and be admitted into top universities. This is called the snowplow parent and these are snowplow children. With the same and similar uh, symptomology, but a little bit more extreme in the fact that they feel entitled, 
that they can even go through all four years of college and pay someone to write their exams, or I'm sorry, their papers or essays, and maybe even have somebody come in and take their exams. They don't feel that they have to do anything to earn their degree because they simply should have it for who they are and for who what their parents are. So this is a snowplow parents that has developed. It's a more extreme form of the helicopter, and it's doing a lot of harm to families because we're raising children without any responsibilities. Okay. And lastly, or not lastly, but another area is what we call the boomerang children. I don't know if you folks have been looking into some of the research recently on families and psychology of families and couples, but now we're raising children that actually don't begin maturing until age 25. So, what we mean by boomerang children, these are typically young folks that get married young, get divorced young, have children, and they always return home. So the parents are never uh, truly alone. Their, their kids are always coming back home to live with them, to get themselves back on their feet. However, sometimes these children returning back to the homes stay much longer than just a few months. So we have boomerang children, we have snowplow children, we have helicopter children, and in the past, it still goes on today, we have latchkey latch children. These are when parents are working and children can learn from school and have to let themselves in the house. There's no parents around for maybe an hour or two until they get home from work. These are latchkey children. So you can see these family systems have their faults and challenges that need to be worked through to develop healthy children. So, um, Lastly, the last comment to make are the enmeshed families. You can see the problems I point out with all the above. Now, the enmeshed families get pretty severe, too, because enmeshed, in enmeshed families, the children come home and they tell the parents every single detail of what's going on in their life, including their relationship. Some of these will tell their parents... Uh, having sex with their boyfriend or husband or girlfriends, etc. They'll start uh, talking about words that were said between them. They'll start asking for advice all the time. They start asking for uh, money. And, uh, in fact, it's sometimes not even asked for. It's expected because if you love me, this is what you do. You chose to have me, so here I am. I'm your responsibility. So in a meshed family, when one person comes home feeling bad, it's expected that the whole family will feel bad. Uh, when one child grows up and gets, gets ready to get married, it's a family thing. Everybody's involved. Everybody pays. Everybody works. Everything. Uh, when one gets sick, everybody comes home to be with a sick person. When somebody goes uh, anywhere, vacation, typically the whole family goes. So this is what I mean by earlier talking about couples. When you have couples... They don't get time alone to themselves because everybody's involved when it's an enmeshed family. So enmeshment leads to lack of boundaries and lack of an individual identity. So you develop a family identity, but not the individual identity. Any straying from the norms in that family creates conflict, creates uh, shunning and possibly re rejection. So an example of that is, you know, some families I've worked with when one father graduates with a degree in accounting, the mom may be an accountant or a bookkeeper as well, and then they expect their children to carry on tradition by becoming accountants or bookkeepers as well. 
it's enmeshed. Everybody's expected to follow the uh, footsteps of the one previous. So that's what we mean by enmeshed families. Very dysfunctional, uh, loss of identity, loss of who am I. So these are some examples of how couples and family relationships can impact you as an individual. For those of you coming from any of these uh, examples I'm giving you, you have the ability to heal and move beyond all this. First of all, take some quiet time shutting off all the noise and sitting still and ask, who am I? Just keep asking. No matter what comes to mind, just keep asking over and over and over, who am I? Then start adding little things that I ask my clients to do. Say the words, who am I? If I am not my body, and I am not my mind, and I am not my emotions, who am I? And if you sit still for 15 minutes or so and keep asking over and over, you may get images, feelings, thoughts, perceptions of who that person may be. And it doesn't matter. It could be silly things like cartoon images. It could be animal figures. It could be nature figures. It could be anything. But let it come to the forefront of your mind and try to recognize who that person is that's inside there, beyond the family, beyond the friends. Once you get that person in mind, ask yourself, where do I need to go to be me? And then you start paving your own way and developing how you want to be that person. So look for meaning and purpose. Be your individual. If family happens to reject you, I went through this personally in my life. Uh, I am the only one in my family tree that has gone on to college uh, beyond two years. I have a cousin that got a nursing degree, two-year degree, but beyond two years and not only that, to earn a doctorate. But I will tell you folks, every step of the way, my parents had encouraged me not to go to college. It's a waste of money. My father wanted me to be a carpenter or a plumber. And when I went decided to go for my master's, I got the same talk. You shouldn't do this. You're wasting your money. And I kept going to get the doctorate. And I was rejected. They didn't want to talk to me too much. Eventually, it took about a year or so. They, my father came around and developed a sense of pride for my accomplishments because I did it on my own. I only borrowed money to get my undergraduate, but as far as graduate school, I paid for every semester, every credit. I worked full-time with the school part-time. took me a long time to get the degree, but I knew what I wanted. As I said, I sat down to ask myself, who am I? Uh, where am I going? How, what do I need, need to do to get there? No regrets. I did it on my own, and I accomplished it, and I can go out and tell the world, you can do this if you choose. There's no excuse. How badly do you want to become you? Now my freedom is, you know, family does accept me to a point. I have different values than they do. But I can be happy in knowing that I'm me, that I don't have to make someone else happy to be happy. I don't have to please someone. Uh, you either like me or you don't. This is such freedom, folks. And I encourage all my listeners to get that sense of identity. But remember, it takes being still, be quiet, okay? Figure out who you are and what you are and get out into nature to rejuvenate your body, mind, and soul. So these are some examples of family and couple systems. All these things that tend to pull us away from our journey of being ourselves, but at the same time, 
I've often told my classes that you truly won't ever know the depths of yourself until you get involved in a relationship because you're going to get involved with are you truly a match with your core values? What little compromises do you need to make? You'll have to learn to listen more than speak. You'll have to learn to accept. You'll have to learn to grow. These are things that a relationship can challenge you to do that you may not do on your own. So there's pros and cons here. The ideal is if you truly know yourself, where you are, where you're going, this is when you're able to face a relationship and not lose yourself or surrender yourself. Or I've seen uh, women prostituting their emotions to please the other person. So please, it's time for us to wake up, be ourselves, choose happiness, but accept anger and depression, sadness, frustration. These are all normal human growth experiences. In fact, you will learn that you grow more when under duress than when life is going well. Because when under duress or facing traumas, you must make decisions, and hopefully they will be decisions of growth. So I leave you with that to think about. Look at your own family systems. Look at where you fit, and look at what you can do to become who you really are meant to be. So please take care of yourselves and each other. Pray for this world and look for the positives in everything. Try not to get jaded or get negative. Seek the positive, be the positive, and treat people the way you want to be treated. Take care of yourselves. I'll talk with you again soon, and I hope your life does improve. Bye-bye.